Where Nobody Knows Your Name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, we're back. It's me and Barry. Barry's also back. Hello, Barry. Hello, James. Lovely to be here. It's been a long time. It certainly has. I've felt completely out the loop, but it's good to be back. It is. We're discussing Woody for Hire meets Norman of the Apes, which sounds like the crossover of the century. <laughs> Doesn't it just? It aired on the 7th of January, 1988. was directed by Tim Berry, Timmy B. It's not a Jimmy B episode, it's a Timmy B episode. It was written mm. by Fief Sutton. Stop, Fief. <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably got that a lot. <laughs> Where should we start? Let's start with the cold open. The cold open is about Carla, but Carla really doesn't appear in this episode. So I guess this is their way of giving her a bit of screen time before she disappears for the episode. So we open with Carla's had a row with Eddie because he said that she doesn't know how to control her kids. Oh, does anyone? <laughs> and uh, a phone call comes in for Carla, which makes you assume is Eddie. Uh, and she's saying, no, you can't hit him. Tie him up, wash his mouth out with soap and water. But obviously, there's a joke here. <laughs> You've seen this show before. <laughs> no, you definitely cannot hit him. No, you cannot lock him in the closet. And you absolutely cannot wash his mouth out with soap. Anne-Marie, you untie your stepfather right now. <laughs> They really play on this uh, this feral uh, household. No wonder she just is at cheers all the time. Just, have you got any shifts I could do? Uh, no, please, Sam, please. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's just too polite to discipline, isn't he? Oh, he's a lovely, lovely man. I remember his first introduction to the, the show, and it was lovely to see Carla having a nice guy for once. But main episode, as you alluded to, not really... Uh... Much Carla presence. That's an oddly phrased sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Carla's not much in this episode. It's it's a Woody and Norm and Cliff episode. It is. And, and Carla even opens the episode uh, after the cold open by ringing in and giggling down the phone at Sam because she's not in the episode and she's not at work today. Yeah. No, she's uh, had a day off. Perhaps a nice little romantic weekend with Eddie. And the kids. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure any romance would be destroyed. Yeah, I definitely would. But yeah, that's Carla's presence in the episode. But what happens in the main episode is Cliff and Norm discuss that they are in a rut. This is the first time that's really been addressed, isn't it? Uh, we've spoken outside of the podcast about how Norm and Cliff don't really change. It's strange that they've suddenly come to that conclusion. <laughs> there doesn't really seem to be any progress in their lives. And I know that's a symptom of sitcoms always kind of resetting to ground zero at the end of every episode, but they really have no movement whatsoever in their lives. It's amazing it's taken them six series to get to this point. Yeah. Interestingly, you've probably heard about this in MASH because it lasted for many, many seasons. It went on longer than the Korean War actually did. <laughs> so as a result, they couldn't have much long-running plots, such as, you know, getting married and moving in, because the whole series only takes place over three and a half years. Ah, okay. That's interesting. 
you know, the or however long the Korean War was. So mm. there's only about two days between each episode, comparatively. That's a good constraint to work to. But we digress. Cliff and Norm are in a rut, sitting on the same stools, drinking beer all day. Norm tells Cliff, no, Cliff, we're not switching stools. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what he took away from it. And, you know, they're asking, oh, is there anything exciting happening? And there isn't, really. Well, you say that. Woody has a little surprise up his sleeve. Oh, Woody, Woody trickles that surprise out like syrup from a straw. <laughs> is that a phrase? Oh, I got to take it this weekend. Oh, buddy, we're not that desperate. Yeah, speak for yourself. Parking or moving? Uh, parking. But it was my own fault. I uh, I let the meter run out while I was watching them film Spencer for Hire. What? Spencer for Hire? That's my favorite. Was Robert Urich there? Oh, yeah, it's his show. And you saw him? Oh, my God. Oh, I know me over here. has met him. You lie! What's he really like? Well, yeah, he just sped past me in his BMW, but he seemed like a real courteous driver. You know, I've heard that about him. Oh, would would you stop it? I mean, a guy puts his pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Why is everybody so gaga over actors like this? Hold it, hold it. I'm still picturing him with his pants down around his ankles. (laughs) So, what? How long did you watch him film? Till some guy came up and put me in one of the crowd scenes. Now, wait. TV? Weren't you nervous? Uh, yeah, I was until I talked to Mr. York. He's had a wild ride. And Rebecca's very jealous. Seems that Robert Ulrich is one of her favourites. She's got the hots for Ulrich. I've never seen Spencer for Hire, but he seems to have the same kind of appeal as Eric Estrada from Chips. Yeah, or Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, yeah, the kind of leather jacket macho man type thing. Yeah. Hasselhoff. Yes, the Hoff. Fabulously camp in uh, <laughs> Knight Rider. And fantastic in Kung Fury, as I forgot what the car is called in Kung Fury, but the parody of, of Kit. What happens with Woody is it becomes a bit of the boy who cried Uric, doesn't it? It does. He's initially got the interest of the bar, but quickly they begin to think it's a bit of a myth, and we shall explain that shortly. So it's all very exciting, and the episode of Spencer for Hire is airing what seems relatively soon, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Quick turnaround on Spencer. But in the meantime, Rebecca has organised a book club at the bar, which I get the feeling that she's doing this to raise the class of the bar a little bit. I think that's what she's trying to do. But, you know, book clubs, they can go south quickly, you know. Um, from what I know of book clubs, it's just a lot of wine. <laughs> well, let's see if that's what actually happens uh, in the episode. This clashes with the, the very man-centric pub nights that the bar have had, though. There's a bit of a clash there, Sam and Rebecca, and uh, she wins eventually. I'm not sure how, because they seem to have every evening booked for one thing or another. She played the manager card. Yeah, which, you know, she doesn't always hold that role so obviously, does she? Sam often gets to uh, run the roost. Oh, it's uh, but it's a strategy play, isn't it? You give Sam small wins. That way, it will feel like you're both compromising, but really, you give him the wins that you don't care about. So that's what my girlfriend's been doing. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. It's an old, old trick. <laughs> so this book club's comes, and it seems delightfully wholesome at first. You have pension-age women, I'd say. Yes, 
it begins, as you'd imagine. They come in discussing a really dry subject. Middlemarch, is it? Yes, something that Rebecca immediately turns away from and gives the sort of the, the equivalent of I'm washing my hair. Diane would have loved it, though. Yes. Diane would have been all over that. <laughs> it's good to show that contrast between the characters. I think they both have lofty ideals and a snobbery, but the difference is that one tries to be the snob, the other just wants the success for the bar, I suppose. Yeah, Rebecca's business. That's her focus. So these old women have arrived, go into the pool room to discuss a book club. That plays on. We'll catch up with them later, see what they're up to. In the meantime, Norm has been painting Cliff's condo. And he's halfway through and uh, raises the subject of payment. Ooh, that's often a tender subject, isn't it? Between friends, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, especially when it seems Norm has done these jobs free in the past, but now that he's a professional painter and decorator, he expects some payment, which is only fair. I absolutely think he should get paid. Yes. Cliff jokes about not paying because he's used to getting it for free, and it ends up with a bit of tit-for-tat about their relative professions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was expecting one of them to get glassed, truth be told. <laughs> the, the the day cheers turned dark. Yeah, you can tell I grew up in Scotland. <laughs> Any argument at a pub, you're going, ooh, when's someone going to get glassed? <laughs> I look forward to your light-hearted uh, sitcom that you write, James. <laughs> no one... And surely you can think of a a, a post glassing punchline. Uh, how you feel, you know, shattered. <laughs> <laughs> it probably isn't something we should be laughing about too much. It's uh, <laughs> fairly horrific, really. I think it's just the uh, dissonance between <laughs> between cheers being relatively upbeat <laughs> and then <laughs> needless balance. But they don't get glassed. Neither of them get glassed. But Norm does storm out. Yes. Because there's a key line in this, which whenever this line is used in a sitcom, and it's happened since the Brady Bunch, and um, possibly earlier, but it's whenever it's like, hey, a monkey could do that. Like, I see where this is going. Yes. Although having said that, I didn't see quite it being so literal. <laughs> I don't know why, but in all the episodes of Cheers with monkeys in, you're the host I've talked about them with, and I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, monkey fancying is quite a normal fetish to have, and we'll probably find that there's a a number of your audience members that sympathise with me and share my delight at uh, the monkey episodes. Is that going to be a kind of a VHS collection? Cheers, the monkey episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. There's so many episodes you could split them up into little niche. Or just arbitrary collections, yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, I would be first down the shops for the uh, <laughs> the uh, marsupial specials. Oh, that's a good name. As I said, they have an argument and one of them walks out because Cliff has refused to pay Norm. And the conversation or the, the insults have got a bit spicy between the two of them, a bit close to the bone. The key arguments or the key points in this in this argument is that a monkey could do manual labor yeah. whether that, whether that's painting a wall or posting letters that's what it comes down to and cliff vows to take revenge and embarrass norm about his profession i, I mean even the listeners can see where this is going now yeah 
we do cut uh, immediately to Cliff's flat and freshly painted, I might add. It's a game uh, over at Cliff's condo. That's what they should call it. Nice alliteration. Uh, there's a game on TV. Guys are coming around, drinking beer, watching sports. Wholesome guy stuff. I assume it's because they can't use the bar because there's a book club there. Actually, I didn't think of that. Uh, but it might. I always. I just assumed that it was Cliff taking his revenge and doing it immediately. <laughs> but yeah, so they all pile into this apartment and it looks relatively newly painted and Norm compliments uh, Cliff on the painting and Cliff uh, says that he got a, an expert in to do it. Yeah, he concedes defeat seemingly to Norm saying, you're right, Norm, I couldn't do it myself. I had to get an expert and someone who could paint with real skill. And cue him releasing a orangutan in painter's overalls who comes out, climbs a ladder and starts painting the wall. Uh, to which point Norm puts down his beer, what? And leaves. Yeah. I don't know about you, James. I'm not sure where I'd look to hire a monkey. <laughs> and, and believe me, I've looked. You know, my my penchant seems to be coming to the fore here. <laughs> Circus? Can you just throw down cash and have a, a monkey for an hour? You need to show up with a big coat. <laughs> just <laughs> briefcases of cash and go, I want to rent your monkey. So this is the only thing that put me off this episode, was the seemingly how easy these monkeys were hired and also trained to do menial tasks. Different time. <laughs> Speaking of, though, I think it's an excellent time to talk about the cast because I'll tell you what, this monkey, his CV is impressive. Oh, is this? it's not the same orangutan as from... It's not Clyde, is it? It is Clyde. It yeah. is Clyde. Oh, we have a celebrity in our midst. And we'll get to that, but let's talk about all the cast. Paddy Edwards as Sylvia. This is one of the book club women. She also had roles in Hancock's Half Hour, Laverne and Shirley, Trapper John MD, Halloween 3, Newhart, Ghostbusters, Murder, She Wrote, Dallas, Star Trek The Next Generation, Night Court, Batman the Animated Series, Married with Children, Hercules, and many more. Betty Vaughan as Laura. She also appeared in Neon Maniacs and Suspect Device. Tim Cunningham as Tim, Hugh Maguire as Hugh, Peter Shiner as Pete, Robert Urich as Robert Urich. Uh, he will appear later in the episode. In addition to his titular role in Spencer for Hire, he also appeared in The FBI, Magnum Force, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, Gunsmoke, Soap, Charlie's Angels, The Lazarus Man, and The Nanny. He also appeared in numerous Spencer movies and many more. Manus the Orangutan as the Monkey. Uh, which Cliff refers to as Dwayne. This was his last film and TV role, Barry. Sad. Oh, that is sad. But his film debut was Every Which Way But Loose, where he played Clyde. He also appeared in Fantasy Island, Any Which Way You Can, Going Ape, Chips, and Cannonball Run 2. We had Philip Pullman as Phil, Al Rosen as Al, and Paul Savage is uncredited as Bar Patron. This was his film and TV debut, but he also appeared in Days of Our Lives, Jag, General Hospital, The Young and the Restless, and many more. Wendy Wells' Gunkle is also uncredited as a bar patron. So we've had the episode roster. Thank you, James. We come back to the bar where Woody is about to appear, make his debut, his screen debut. 
in Spencer for Hire. So everyone's very excited. The book club has taken the pool room away from the uh, the bar patrons. So they've decided to watch Woody's starring role. Before we get on to, I suppose, how this plays out, would you like some little known facts? Oh, I love a little fact, James. Love a little fact. Woody's plot in this episode is based on the fact Harrelson himself only having one televised role prior to Cheers, and it was an extra in Harper Valley PTA. Ah, so this is a, a this is a biography. Yeah. More facts, or another fact. While Spencer for Hire was shot on location in Boston, it aired on ABC and was produced by Warner Brothers, while Cheers aired on NBC and was produced by Paramount. So it was a cross-network, cross-production studios promotion, almost. Wow. Yeah. That would be a legal minefield these days. Yeah. Another one, if you'd like to hear it. Mm, I would. About the geography within these fictional shows. Cheers location is 84 Beacon Street and is a fifth of a mile from the former firehouse of 127 Mount Vernon Street used for Spencer's home for the majority of Spencer's first season. Wow, James, you're a veritable treasure trove of uh, tidbits today. Yeah. Further, Robert B. Parker started including a map of Boston in the Spencer for Hire novels in 2007, which shows that Spencer lives in an apartment building at the corner of Arlington and Marlborough, which is just a tenth of a mile from Cheers. (laughs) How on earth did you find all this out? (laughs) You do spoil us, James. You spoil us. Please, no dessert. I've had too much facts. So Woody is about to have his screen debut, but disappointingly for those in the bar, only Woody's arm appears in the shot. Woody has a really hard time convincing them that that's actually him. Yeah, she would. It's an arm next to a fire hydrant or something, which is, I suppose, telling because you can't park next to fire hydrants. And you started this anecdote by saying he got a parking ticket. Oh. Ah. It all fits together. <laughs> You are allowed to drive over them at speed, though, aren't you? You just can't stay. But when I say drive over them at speed, I mean over them so that they pop off and water goes up in the air. Because that always happens in films. So is that the, the sole purpose of the fire hydrant is to provide water in... Or hydrating fire, yeah. Yeah, hydrating fire. You do treat your fires well, James. <laughs> but in, in the UK, we, ha- we don't have fire hydrants, uh, which may surprise some American listeners we simply have what i would call the mains water running under the street in pipes and the firemen will tap into it take off a manhole and like a lumberjack trying to get maple yeah absolutely yeah to put out bees (laughs) (laughs) take that bees (laughs) i was trying to extend your analogy that's as far as i could get analogy was extended so, obviously, argument occurs, they think Woody's lying, hijinks ensue. Meanwhile, book club women, oh, they're... Wild, aren't they? They start by going, oh, this, this coffee here needs a little something-something, like brandy. And again, this is a, a difference between the uh, UK and America, although it's slightly shifting now because of uh, COVID. But we tend to pay at the bar. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone pay at the bar in Cheers. It's all table service, isn't it? I've seen people pay at the bar in Cheers, but some people like Norm never do. 
Yeah, you are correct that post-COVID table service does seem more often. There was a bar I was at in Glasgow, which, uh, because they also served food, you could order to the table, which, you know, is prime for theft, because you can just leave, which I accidentally did, but I went back and paid. paid <laughs> my, I paid my dues the next day. I went back and went, I, I bought meal and, and beer from you. Here is money. And had you appeared on the local news in the uh, the day in between? No, but my conscience did. In Spain as well, they don't pay at the bar, which means there's this whole cultural thing called simpa, which means without paying, simpaga. You know? So yeah, no, it is it is interesting. Different cultural approaches. Mm. And, and again, you've provided a, a very tasty fact there. The, the Spanish fact was quite the tapas of fact, James. Thank Ooh. you. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, maybe a Wefferth in fact. <laughs> Our riotous book club are starting to drink an awful lot more. What should we do with an ocean sailor? What should we do with an ocean sailor? What should we do with an ocean sailor? Right in the morning. Good, not again. What the hell is happening to our book club? I think it had something to do with that last round of margaritas. <laughs> Ever sing drinking songs, James? I sing songs while drinking. Do you sing in the shower? I always sing in the shower. I sing Motown. <laughs> do, do, you, do you drink in the shower? Not since the incident. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there is something, for me, it's the ultimate, it's not, a, it's not a sin. It's almost like a treat to take a beer into the shower. People judge it when you drink in the shower, but having a glass of wine in the bath is fine. <laughs> yeah, but a bottle of beer in the shower. I, I remember doing this as a, a student and thinking, that's the height of sophistication, that is. That explains when I've walked into the bathroom in a, in a, in a shared house here with them, a few other people. That explains when I've walked into the bathroom and seen an empty beer bottle. But now I know what happened is someone had a tasty shower beer. Yeah, someone spoiled themselves. What what I don't like is crushed cans in the bath. <laughs> Someone's had a six pack in the bath. I don't think I think that crosses the line of uh, classy. Anyway, from our riotous ladies to beers in the shower, they send Sam into the book club, who comes out quite manhandled or lady handled, I should say. Handled. Handled, yeah. The modern term is handled. <laughs> yeah, he's sure it's been untucked and and things, and he's like. Don't send me back in there. And Fraser feeling big for his boots. All right, well, I'm a trained psychiatrist. I know how to calm them down. And they went, that poor man, he's not going to come back. <laughs> Very pleased for himself when he does come back, isn't he? Isn't it the next morning he reappears? The next morning he reappears uh, with much money. Yeah, more than Sam got. And he's quite smug about this. You know, because he, he was an opportunist. He was like, well, if I am going to get handled and get given money to flaunt myself, then I am going to flaunt. He went all in. He, yeah, he did a little shake for them, didn't he? He did. He shook that thing. Oh, how Fraser's changed. <laughs> I think the most sinister thing the women did was after they returned Sam, they said, send in the young one. We want fresh meat. Yes, very dark. And then Woody is shocked and is behind the bar, white as a sheet, isn't he? He is cowering, yes. And, and rightly so. I've certainly been caught in the midst of a, a hen party tornado and it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite an experience. 
let's just say once they get their eyes on on someone do you feel like a tiny piece of corn amongst the hens Ah, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, I, I was certainly pecked within an inch of my life. <laughs> uh, while this is happening, Cliff comes in singing a song about about monkeys called Abba Dabba Honeymoon. One of my favourites. And he's still taking the mickey, really pushing this uh, this monkey joke to the... Beyond the limits. He goes, would you like a banana, Norm? <laughs> yeah. And, and Norm is, is trying to contain himself. Eventually, he does get a bit annoyed, but we know that Norm has got something up his sleeve. But they get their old fisticuffs out, don't they? They do. Maybe someone will get glassed now, but they don't. No, no glassing shall occur. But Sam has to step in because although Rebecca's the manager, Sam's crowd control. <laughs> um, and Sam breaks up the fight. Cliff does apologise and he admits he went too far. And they make up. But at that point, there is a delivery. <laughs> I love the choreograph of this part. Because a monkey walks in, dressed as a USPS worker. But my favourite part, and it was, it was a gentle touch, is the monkey hands a clipboard to Woody. And Woody acts as though nothing is weird about <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely... And, and what I like about the joke is it's never mentioned. It just, Woody carries on as if this is normal delivery from an orangutan. And that plays out, and they don't go back to Woody, which I think is a great touch. It's just Woody's character. It's lovely. But then Cliff chases Norm up to Melville's. They run at quite a pace. I mean, they're not what you'd imagine the most athletic men, but. They're not slight men, are they? No. No, but they shift it out of that bar. Uh, I was worried for them at one point. Now they've gone up to the bar. People are in pool room. They've paid Frasier. They've seen a nice dance. They've left Cheers now. I assume your your boys, Pete, etc., have gone into the pool room because it's free now. And they're all there. And uh, Bobby, Yurik comes in. He does. Yeah, so we're, we're in an empty bar, aren't we? They've carefully contrived to make everyone disperse at this point. Woody's pal walks in to return the gloves that Woody lent to him on the set. Bob, for the gentleman, Bob, he's like, hey, Woody, we have a little rap party Come on, if you want to go. And Woody's like, oh, boy, would I? Yeah, and I, I also like about this scene is that initially Woody really wants everyone to see Robert Oryx come in, but he doesn't, it doesn't drag it out. I think another sitcom would have that as a real sort of lengthy scene where he's desperately trying to get people in to see and they're not, it's not happening. But actually, this is quite nice. He says Urix here and they go, no, he isn't, he goes. Oh, well. And goes off the party. So it's testament to Woody's positivity and yeah, sort of carefree attitude that he just... Again, the staging on this was well done because Sam returns and is in the same room as Eric, but he's carrying a crate of beer on his shoulder so his eye line is blocked and he can't see Bob. Yeah, it's only hearing his voice as he leaves the bar that makes him question whether he was really there. Ooh. Ooh. do 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 <laughs> <laughs> So it's a nice end. It's a nice end because Woody proves to himself at the very least that this all happened and he has got a celebrity friend. Yeah, exactly. Is that the mail? It is the mail, delivered by uh, Dwayne. (laughs) By Dwayne. That was lovely and completely normal delivery there. Yeah. Uh, You should consider letting Dwayne do that again. He seems very professional. I mean, Cliff might get a bit upset. That's true. 
as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. The first question, which of Carla's kids tied and gagged Eddie? Ooh, very good question. I remember it being a girl's name. Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember. Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie. I was going to say Annie because of her daughter-in-law. My question for you. Rebecca tries to organise a book club, but the bar is busy every evening of the week. Can you tell me what is on every evening of the week? Well, there's obviously pool. There's football. There's recovery from darts. There's darts. (laughs) How many have I got there? Five? Four. Four. There's one more. Ooh, it will be around sports, won't it? Not a traditional sport. Is it going to be something like glassing? (laughs) Glassing night. (laughs) Everyone's favourite night of the evening. (laughs) Bring your own glasses. (laughs) BYOB. (laughs) So uh, let me run them through for you, James. We have Sunday's pool night. Monday is football night, Tuesday is darts, Wednesday, as you say, is recovery from darts, Thursday is poker night, Ah. Fridays, I think, Sam says, is a night to howl. Okay. Now, I didn't quite understand that, but I I watched that several times and all (laughs) I could gather from it was he says, it's a night to howl. So maybe that's the boys out on the town, I don't know. Just, oh, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Saturday night is date night. And there's an extra little add-on where they say that they're horny on Sundays, whatever that means. Because their dates are unsuccessful. Uh, Almost definitely, knowing this lot. This is probably the driest of questions. They're talking about how there's nothing happening in the bar, but Rebecca cites an excerpt from the Corporation newsletter. (laughs) The Corporation reveals the percentage of America's string it buys. What is this percentage? It's low. I, I remember it's something like 2%. You know, I'll give you that because you were within 1%. The answer was 1%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're very kind. When the book club ladies come in, they discuss the topic for the evening. Can you tell me what that topic is? It's something to do, I think, with politics in the 18th century within Middlemarch. Yeah, I'll give you that. The specific topic is English agrarian life before the reform bill as portrayed in Eliot's Middlemarch. I was pretty close. Yeah, yeah. and I'm only repeating. I, I couldn't tell you very much about it at all. <laughs> gonna, uh, what are your opinions on this? <laughs> apart from I did look up the word agrarian, which pertains to agriculture. Hugh jokes that Woody's shirt is now dating an actress, but which actress? Mm, no, I'm not going to get that. Uh, I'll give you a clue. She was a bit of a sex symbol in the 70s and 80s. I was born in the 80s, so I think sex symbols were a bit off my radar at that age. <laughs> um, so no, I'm going to struggle. It's uh, Morgan Fairchild. Okay. That's who it was. I accidentally typed Morgan Freeman the first time I put this. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure he he's had his moments as a... A bit of a, a pin-up, I'm sure. Uh, no, it was Morgan Fairchild. That's the last call, Barry. What should we have as a tasty 
beverage. Well, a cup of coffee with brandy in it. Ooh, delightful. As drunk by our uh, riotous book club ladies. With copious amounts of brandy. Yeah, we could. Is there a drink related to either painting or monkeys? There is a drunken monkey cocktail. Well, that sounds pleasant. What? Well, we'll go into more details on our newsletter, and I'll tell you what, they'll have much more interesting facts than how much string we buy, I'll tell you that much. And you can find that newsletter on Patreon, but I will tell you, a drunken monkey is a lovely rum-based drink. Different types of rum, bit of nutmeg. Ooh, spicy already. Lovely. That does sound nice. Well, there's our drink, James. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.